This morning's reading is taken from Genesis chapter 37. Joseph sold by his brothers. Now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, As you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I am going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. So he said to him, Go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks and bring word back to me. Then he sent him off from the valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around in the fields and asked him, what are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are grazing their flocks? They have moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into this cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. Thank you, Zoe. And good morning, everyone. And uh, welcome to those who are watching online as well. I don't know how many of you have seen the uh, television series, Who Do You Think You Are? It's been on a few years, hasn't it? Probably most of us have actually seen it. Any keen watchers? Uh, It's interesting to explore. What what they do is they take somebody, a celebrity, and they explore, don't they, into their, their past and their family. And the idea is that somehow through this process, they learn something about themselves, their own identity. Because, um, you know, to a reasonable extent, we are formed, aren't we, by the family that we are brought up in and the history of that family. So today we are exploring uh, Joseph's complex family as part of this ongoing series about the life of Joseph. And we're using it to consider our own family relationships uh, and, uh, uh, and the issues that we might find within that. Now... In the notice sheet, there was a 
a reference to bring in some paper and, and hopefully people who've come into the building today got a piece of paper and a pen which we're going to use in a bit so if you've got that handy that's useful if you're at home then um, please do uh, get yourself a, a pen and a piece of paper something that we can use in a little while but while we're getting that uh, sorted uh, could you put up the um, the family tree please so I thought, I thought we would, we would start, start by just understanding a bit more about Joseph and his particular circumstances. So this is a family tree, and you can see Joseph in a red circle at the bottom. Uh, his, he has 12 brothers, so they're all listed along the bottom there. I, I should just make it clear that I've abbreviated their names to the first letter. They, they weren't just given letters as their names. Although I imagine if you do have too many children, it does get more difficult to come up with them. But, um, so there's Joseph sitting alongside his 12 brothers. And you can see uh, the family goes back through Jacob, his father, Isaac, his father, and back to Abraham. And, and indeed, before Abraham, Terah was the father of Abraham. It's a fairly complex family, as you can see. There's, there's a couple of places where there are marriages between cousins, and that means the family tree sort of merges together in different ways and com creates complexities. So for Joseph, his mother and his aunt, so that's Rachel and Leah, they are sisters, but they were both married to his father, Jacob, at the same time. And this happened, you may remember if, you, if you've read the stories in, in Genesis, because his father's uncle, so Jacob's uncle Laban, had tricked Jacob into marrying both Leah and Rachel. Jacob wanted to marry Rachel, but he'd been tricked into marrying Leah as well. So he ended up with the two sisters as his wives. So that's a, that creates a few tensions within the family, I'm sure. And then you've got 12 brothers. Uh, I have two brothers and one sister. And, that, you know, we, we can have a few little family uh, rivalries amongst us. But imagine 12, and there were an unspecified number of daughters. There were daughters as well. We're not given their names or their number. But that is quite a big family, isn't it? 12 boys and girls as well, with four different mothers. And another thing that really affected Joseph, I imagine, in his life, was his mother died while giving birth to his younger brother. We don't know how old Joseph was at that point, but Rachel, his mother, died giving birth to Benjamin. So that must have affected him in his development. His father had a favorite wife, Rachel, the wife that he intended to marry first. And that favoritism was very clearly held on throughout the life uh, of well, the early life of Joseph uh, while Rachel was still alive. And indeed, Joseph, because he was the oldest son of Rachel, became the favorite son. And, and we saw that, didn't we, last week when Paul was talking about the coat of many colors or the, the embroidered coat. Joseph didn't, uh, Jacob didn't seem embarrassed to be showing that favoritism to Joseph as the oldest son of his favorite wife. And indeed, later on, we find that he favors Benjamin as well, 
as the other son of his favoured wife. If we go back a little further in the family tree, we find um, his, his, grand his uh, grandfather, Isaac, and Rebecca, his grandmother, they had their favourites as well. There's a story about uh, how Isaac favoured Esau and wanted to give him his blessing when he was on his deathbed. But Rebecca had and there was another deception that took place where Jacob stole Esau's birthright and his blessing. And that resulted in a breakup within the family. Um, and Jacob had to run away. And it was when he ran away, he went to stay with his uncle Laban uh, in a different country. That's where he, he met and married Rachel and Leah. So this is all part of a complex family, isn't it? I don't know if, if any of you read those sort of generational uh, books about different generations and how family issues build up. I think this would make a very good one. If we go back a little further to Abraham, there were issues there as well. So this is Joseph's great-grandfather. So Abraham had a son, Ishmael, his firstborn. But then Ishmael and, and his, his mother Hagar were sent away because uh, Isaac was the son of his wife Sarah and came along later. So these issues of rejection and favoritism and so on run back in the family in a, in a deep way. So we'll, we'll put that off screen for now because what I'd like us to do is, is, is concentrate, concentrate now on our own family tree. So that's why you've got your paper and pen. So if you could get that out and what I'd like you to do somewhere in the middle of that is put your own name and start drawing your family tree. Some of you were probably very familiar with this sort of thing. But if you start with yourself, some people are having trouble with this already. You put your name in the middle. <laughs> and then maybe put a branch up to parents, father and mother. Now at this stage, of course, we may already have an issue. Maybe you don't know exactly who your birth parents are. So if you need to put question marks, that's, that's absolutely fine. This is your family tree. Nobody else is having this. This is just for your reference. So put whatever is suitable for you. Maybe you want to add adoptive parents or step-parents. It starts to get more complicated, doesn't it, as these relationships go out. And then maybe add beyond that your grandparents. Make sure you put in your siblings, if you have any, step-siblings, adopted siblings. And for those of you with children, you can start going down as well, putting the next generation below. If you've got room, then add cousins and grandchildren. 
I'm just going to leave you a little, little time to get that completed. But essentially what we're doing here is trying to create a framework that captures the names of, of all the people that you have a relationship with, a family relationship with. And when you've done that, and carry on if, you, if you've still got a big family and you're still working through those, and uh, I, I did this mine yesterday, and I must admit, I couldn't remember all their names. But uh, what I'd like you to do is, if someone's died within the family, then put some brackets around them, just to indicate that. And then, within families, there are often occasions that cause rifts or difficulties to occur, a distance in relationships, a cooling off. So if there's anyone within your family that you know is sort of a distant or where there's been a, 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 a division within the family, put a circle around their name. Just put a circle around their name for now. And then I'd like you to put a heart next to anyone who is experiencing difficulties at the moment. So perhaps it's illness or work-related, or they're having difficulty in a relationship. Put a heart next to them just to express your concern for them. And I know for many of us, within families, you will have a concern that for people who are maybe far from God or have drifted away from God. So if that's the case, I'd like you to just put a little cross, the cross of Jesus, next to their name as well. So we've got circles, we've got hearts, and we've got crosses. And we're going to hold on to these bits of paper. And when we come to our prayers in a short while... We're going to bring these people before God in prayer. So coming back to our story, Genesis chapter 37, the story of Joseph. And uh, Zoe read a section for us today from that chapter. But it's really the whole chapter that tells us about this particular part of Joseph's life. So we started last week, verses 2 and 4 of of, of chapter 37, with some bad feelings amongst the brothers and that coat of many colors that really just made things worse because it demonstrated that uh, the, his, the, his father had this favorite son. And then we had the dreams in verses 5 to 11, and again that made things worse as Joseph talked to his brothers and told them things about how he was going to be dominant amongst them. And then we come on to the section that, that was read this morning. So in verses 12 to 19, suddenly an opportunity for revenge presents itself. Here are the brothers far from home. They've moved on from where they were originally going to be. No one knows who they are. And an opportunity is created to get their own back. As Joseph comes along, here comes that dreamer, they say. 
And then verses 21 to 22, there's a, there's a little side deception, if you like, because Reuben, I think he's the oldest of the 12, um, he comes up with a plan to put uh, Joseph, not kill him, but put him in a cistern. And then later on, he's going to come back. It, it, it's another deception. And it just demonstrates again that within this family, there's all sorts of deceptions going on and people trying to trick each other. And then at the end of the section that was read, there's this opportunity for profit because suddenly they, the camel train comes along and they decide to send him off to uh, these slave traders. And I love that little phrase in there, after all, he is our brother, as if they're doing him some sort of kindness by, um, by just sending him off as a slave. And then the section of chapter 737 that we didn't read, we find the continuation of this deception as the brothers go back to their father Jacob and pretend that uh, Joseph is dead. They present him with the coat smeared with the blood of a goat and they tell him that Joseph, what they say, is this, is this Joseph coat, they say. And he identifies it and he assumes that Joseph is dead. And the trickster, Jacob, the trickster, he's the one who had a reputation in his life for being a deceiver. He's the one who got the birthright from his own brother. He becomes deceived. The deceiver becomes deceived by his sons. And I think just three things to draw out from this, this chapter. This sense of things coming round when something you do in your life is, is wrong or in this case a, a deception. You know, Joseph had built his life on, on the idea of getting what he wanted by deception. Then it comes back to him in the sense that his, his own sons deceive him. It, it reminds me of a, uh, a little phrase from uh, Numbers 20, 32. Be sure your sin will find you out. Be sure your sin will find you out. This idea that things come back to haunt you. And indeed that happened in, Joseph, in Jacob's life. And the brothers themselves who were creating this deception here in this chapter, later on we will find them deceived. They're tricked later on as uh, the story unfolds and they, they go to Egypt and it's, it's, it's Joseph himself who's actually creating the deception. And you get this sense, don't you, that within this family there are deceptions upon deceptions, that there are tricks upon tricks and nobody's quite sure of each other. And I think that says something about how families work because within our families we do create a sort of culture or a style of living, a, a way of being amongst ourselves. And I think particularly as parents we have to be very conscious, don't we, about how we are bringing our children up, how we teach them, what we teach them. Not necessarily consciously, it's what they see subconsciously as well. And Jacob, I think, perhaps in his manner, in the way he behaved, in the way he acted towards his children, perhaps it led to them being deceivers themselves, and that fed back to him. 
Second thing is this. There's nothing virtuous or holy about this family in this story. There's favoritism. We see jealousy. We see conflict. We see deception. And yet, this is the family through whom God is bringing about his purposes. If you, put, sorry, if you could put that little um, family tree back up for me, just temporarily. The, the, the blue boxes, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Judah, is the line through which Jesus eventually comes. It's not Joseph, it, it's Judah who actually comes out. And Judah himself was, uh, was no great virtuous man. If you read chapter 38, which doesn't appear in our series just because it's not part of Joseph's story directly, but you'll see that Judah had his faults as well. All of these people had their failings, and yet God was working through them. And I I find hope in that because, you know, we look at ourselves and we look at perhaps the way our families are, and it isn't all good and pure and wholesome. And yet God can still work through us and our families. And I think the third thing, and and just the final thing to draw out of this this, this section section is um, the nature of family relationships is that they stick with us, don't they, for our lifetime. Friends come and go, and sometimes you fall out with friends and you move on. With family, you can't move on. You are permanently connected in, in some way. And so I think those relationships with family are more important, more valuable, more, they require more work and more attention. And they also need more help when they break down. And I, it's probably a good point to mention here the the valuable resource that we have very close within this church, the the Family Support Centre, that uh, I know does a a tremendous amount of good work in helping people deal with all sorts of issues. And often within the family, those relationships and the difficulties that that arise within that. So um, there are some leaflets down here uh, just about the Family Support Centre. If you're not familiar with it, please do pick one up. Or indeed, if you, if you think that you or someone within your family or, or someone you know would potentially benefit from the support of the Family Support Center and the counseling that they provide, then please do pick one of those up and uh, get in touch. I think the other thing I just wanted to say about um, families, once the ambulance has gone past, the other thing I wanted to say about families was uh, Jesus was born into a family. And when you think about God coming to be amongst us and living amongst us, we don't get a lot of information, do we, about the life of Jesus before he, he started his ministry just little snippets here and there. But for 30 years or so, Jesus lived within the context of a family. Well, indeed, I mean, he lived within the context of a family for, the, for all of his life. But he was part of that 
experience. He, he experienced what it was like to be in a family, and, and it wasn't a perfect family. His mother's reputation was tainted by the fact that she'd be, become pregnant before she was properly married. Uh, he had a stepfather. Joseph was his stepfather. Uh, he had to submit to their authority. We believe Jesus was perfect, and yet his parents weren't. I imagine that caused a few issues at times. Uh, he had younger brothers and sisters. It does make you wonder, doesn't it, about favoritism. You know, was Jesus the one that Mary and Joseph favored, the oldest one, the, the one with the promise, always the goody two-shoes? We know a little bit about his relationship with family and that there was a mix of belief and, and disbelief. There was a mix of support and challenge within his life. We don't get a lot of detail. But it, I think it's important to note that when God chose to come with us, he placed Jesus in a family. And so that experience is part of God's understanding as well.